Well, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Hebrews this morning. Pastor John was in Hebrews last week, and we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 12 this morning. Hebrews chapter 12, we're going to be looking just in a few moments at this portion of Scripture. Today, we finish up the series that we've been working on for these last six weeks called I Am A Church Member. And next week, Pastor John kicks off a brand new series for a month called Life in 4G. And uh, you'll learn more about what that's all about next week. So Life in 4G, and Pastor John will be kicking that four-week series off next week. Uh, I want you to continue to pray for Ron Tomasetti. I get to spend a little bit of time with Ron Friday afternoon. And this Tuesday will be his last day of therapy, and then they'll be moving him to the Bronx to a VA facility there in the Bronx where hopefully he'll continue uh, to make some uh, progress, but continue to pray with him. His spirits are great, and it's uh, just uh, praising God, so continue to pray for Ron. Also for Mary Hartley, she's still down at Lancaster Regional. Uh, she has had uh, surgery this week, and part of her colon taken out. There was cancer there, <clears throat> and uh, the praise the Lord, it hasn't spread into her uh, lungs or any place like that. Yesterday was a very tough day for her, so she really needs our prayer. And uh, she comes home later this week, I'm sure. But just continue to pray, probably looking at some um, chemo treatments and things like that over the next months to come. And so Mary really needs our prayer. So let's go to the, uh, to the Lord in prayer this morning, remembering these. Our gracious Lord and Savior, we thank you for the privilege to come and to be able to celebrate today as we've worshipped you through music. And now as we open the Word of God, I'm going to ask that your Holy Spirit that indwells us would be able to take this Scripture and, and enlighten it, Father, to us, that we might understand it. And Father, this morning, that we would walk away thinking about the glory of membership in a local church. And how that reflects the glory that is yet to come, Father, when we leave this earth and spend eternity together in heaven. Father, I pray, Lord, for Mary today. And I know yesterday was a very difficult day for her. I pray that you might give her grace and strength and encouragement. That you might relieve the pain that she is going through, Father. Lord, take away the discomfort and give her just strength. I pray for Gil as he ministers to his dear wife as she comes home, that you would give Gil strength and encouragement through this time also. Lord, I pray for Ron uh, there at McGee today, and as he finishes up two more days of rehab, and then he's off to the Bronx for rehab, Lord, that uh, you would help that trip to go well with no complications. I pray that when he gets there, that over these next weeks, Father, that he would learn to transfer from the wheelchair to a chair or to a bed, and just help as they begin to really work on those muscles to allow him to transfer, Father. And so, Lord, I, I pray for uh, the Tomasetti family as they travel, have been traveling back and forth to Philly and now to the Bronx, that you would give them traveling mercies and keep them safe. Lord, I, I would ask today you'd be with the Rhymers as they're off now, and they've been here for about three months, and Lord, now they're on a very uh, tight schedule over these next weeks, uh, driving and flying here and there, so be with uh, Ken and Jan, Father, as they're ministering all over the United States in these next three weeks. Father, we 
Also, just want to pray for Eric and Kelly as they're away just uh, ministering, uh, Lord, out of the Midwest, that you would keep them safe and just give them a good time as they're visiting with supporters and watch over them. Father, we thank you for their ministry, uh, Lord, that you're using them. And Father, we pray for that brand new church that they want to plant and uh, just ask, Lord, that you would continue, Father, to give Eric the great vision that he has and see those things come to fruition, Father. Lord, again, we pray for our school. We thank you for the great start that we've had, and we pray that uh, you'd be with our teachers and just to continue to give Dr. Sheard wisdom as he leads. And Father, we just praise you for what you're doing here at Mount Calvary Christian School. And Lord, I want to uphold all the other teachers also, some that stood across the frontier from the public school sector, that you might give them wisdom and strength and opportunities to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ on the mission field that you've placed them in in the public school system, Father. So today, Lord, we ask that as we open the word of God, that, Lord, we might walk away excited today about the privilege of being a member of the church of Jesus Christ. It's in the name of Christ we pray, amen. Over these past weeks, we've looked at several different things, and I just wanted to take a minute to remind you of what those were. The first week, we talked about, I will be a functioning church member. And uh, we talked about that day being part of the body of Christ and working together. We had body parts that day laying all over the auditorium, and we, we, rem we reminded ourselves that a hand can't get along without a foot and that the foot needs the brain and, and the brain needs the eyes and how we're all working together and we're all individuals and we're all different, but we all work together. Or we should be worked together to function as the body of Christ. And we talked about how Christ was manifested. God sent him here on earth, and then he went to heaven. And now we are, in a sense, Christ's living body. And when people look at the church, they ought to be able to see it reflecting Christ and that unity, that unifying uh, body that functions together. And then the next week, Pastor John talked about, I'll be a unifying church member. We'll work at unity and following the one another commandments of God's word and the importance of forgiveness because the reality of church life, just like family life, sometimes we're going to get under each other's skin. Sometimes we're going to say things, we're going to do things, and we're going to hurt each other. And so what do we need to do? We need to learn forgiveness. We need to learn how to forgive one another and be able to move on and work through those things. And so... The next week we talked about, I will not let my church be about my preferences and my desires. That day we talked about the motif of the church. We talked about being a servant and that God calls us to serve. And on Sunday mornings when we walk in the doors of this church, it ought to be, God, I'm here to worship you and I'm here to serve those around me. Instead of just coming in and sitting down, you're thinking about, who can I serve today? Who can I greet today? Who can I minister to today? And so we talked about it, that I will not let my church be about my preferences and my desires, and I'm willing to die to myself. Maybe we don't sing the songs that you like, or have the instruments that you like, or maybe you don't like the color of something, or maybe you don't like it that, you know, I don't have a tie on today. I don't know. But, you know, we're going to look past these things because we're all here for one purpose, to worship Jesus Christ. 
That's the reason we're here. And, the, and then to see people come to know Christ as the Savior. And all those other things is peripheral. And I'm willing, in a sense, to let the church not be about me, but to let it be about Christ. And then we talked about, I will be a prayer warrior. I appreciate so much those who gather together on Wednesday nights uh, to pray. And I know many of you pray throughout the week for our church, and we need prayer warriors. We need people who will pray for the leadership of this ministry. We need people who will pray for each other. I hope this week you've been upholding the Hartleys in prayer. I hope that you've been upholding every day Ron Tomasetti and others within our ministry that are going through difficult times. I hope that you're faithfully praying. And then we, need, we need to be praying for the loss that's all around us here in Elizabethtown and in Lancaster County. Many people know, need to know about Jesus Christ. I hope you're praying. I hope you're praying for your neighbors who are unsaved. But we need prayer warriors. And then last week, Pastor John talked about, I'll be a confident and committed church member. I'll be a confident and committed uh, church member. Uh, confidence we find in Christ. He is our advocate. And he's our advocate in heaven who's constantly uh, there before God because Satan accuses us. We have an advocate in heaven. And he also talked about being committed to worship, to truth, and to community. We should be committed to those things. And so today we finish our series back in the book of Hebrews talking about the glory of church membership. The glory of church membership. And so here in Hebrews chapter 11, what's going to happen today or in Hebrews chapter 12, it's going to take me as long to get to my point today as it is for... for uh, that's going to be a long time for me to finally get to the point because I think I need to give you the whole feel of chapter 12 before I get down to the end of the chapter, which is really my point for the day. So sort of what we're going to do is we're going to circle a while and then we're finally going to land with the point that I want to get to today. So you just hang in there. I am going to make a point, but it's going to be sort of at the very end of the message. So I'm telling you that. So if you wonder, you know, we're, 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 what are we talking about the glory of the church? I'm going to get there in the last five minutes. Okay, so let's get started here in chapter 12. Um, as we look at this, the book of Hebrews contains a long, detailed discussion of Jesus' death, his resurrection, and fulfill, uh, fulfills uh, and therefore does away with the old covenant. And so we're going to be talking about the old covenant and new covenant today. But this chapter um, points to an illustration of a race. And so uh, the writer of Hebrews says here, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And so the scriptural setting is about a race. It's about the race of the Christian life. It's not a hundred-yard dash. It's a marathon that we're involved in here, folks. This isn't, you know, I'm just going to run this race quickly. No, this is a marathon. And for all of us, the distances are different. You know, I, I looked at the paper this week, and I was reading through an obituary, and there was an obituary of an eight-year-old boy, 
in the paper this week in Lancaster. And then on Friday, I did a funeral in Jersey of an 82-year-old man. And I thought about the distance of the race for each of those. It was very evident that that 8-year-old boy from the paper knew Jesus Christ as a Savior as much as the 82-year-old did. And so for this young man, it was a short race. For this 82-year-old man, it was much longer. But we're all involved in this race of life. But here he's really talking about the race of the Christian life, particularly those who know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And so as we see here, there's this picture in the sense of a Colosseum uh, with a lot of witnesses around. And you have the runners who are running these races. And often those races would start in the Colosseum and they would run out through the city as a marathon and then they would end back in there. And as the people left, there would be those who were cheering for them and encouraging them as they left to go out and run this marathon. And then as they came back in, that crowd once again would rise to their feet and cheer them on. And so there's this cloud of witnesses that is here. This cloud of witnesses, there's a lot of debate about who that is, and uh, we might not all agree on that. I believe it's those who've run the race before, and uh, they're there to cheer us on, those who have run it faithfully. And so he says there's some things that if you're going to run this race, you're going to have to do. And he says in that verse, look at it if you would, he said we're going to run this race with endurance. So if we're going to do that, we have to lay aside every weight and sin. So he says, listen, lay aside those things that would hinder you from doing well in this marathon. And so that's for all of us. And, 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 And it's and look at that word, it's, it's funny there that he says, run with endurance the race that is set before you. He said, but lay aside the sin which clings so closely. And everybody in this room knows about how sin clings to us. Man, it seems like I'm always trying to shake sin off. It seems like I'm, you know, I'm always dealing with sin in my life. It's a daily thing. And it's almost like the picture is there. Man, I I did this again and I just got to shake it off. I got to confess it. I got to repent. I got to get rid of that. So as I run this race, it doesn't hold me down. So he says, listen, as you run this course, run laying aside the things that hinder you and the, the sin that so easily besets us. He says, lay it aside. Run the course with perseverance. So you're going to have to persevere a long time. But he says, listen, as you're running this, look to who? Look to Jesus. Look to the finish line. Look to Christ. And so my focus needs to be on Jesus. Focus on Jesus' attitudes. Endure the physical pain. It says, um, for what was the purpose Jesus did that? For the purpose of joy. Keeping. That's what we have to do as we run this race. Don't focus on somebody else. Focus on Christ. But he said, listen, sometimes as you run this race of life, as you run this late race of life, you're not going to lay aside sin. You're not going to lay aside those things that hinder you. So let me tell you what Jesus is going to do about that. And, and so then he's going to talk about, you know, what we might call divine discipline in verses 4 through 11. So we have the runners of the race who are running this race in front of the faithful who are cheering them on, but sometimes we don't lay aside that sin and we let those things hinder us. We get distracted in the midst of this race. And so God 
wants to get our attention. He wants to say, hey, 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 Dick, hey, you're going the wrong way. You're distracted again. Get back in the race. You're sort of taking a wrong turn. And so he says, I'm going to bring you back. I want to get you back on course. And so we have this divine discipline that he gives us. We'll read that. Look, uh, verses, we'll start with there, three. Consider him who endured for sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you, not, have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary or discouraged, we can say, when reproved by him. For the Lord disciples the one he lo- uh, disciplines the one he loves and chases every son whom he receives. It is for the discipline that you have to endure God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whose father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have an earthly father who disciplined us, and we respect them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and life? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So he says, listen, when we get distracted in this race that we're running in, and we look away and we falter that God loves us so much that he's going to try to bring us back. He's going to try to get our attention. And so there's this gentle approach for faltering, a gentle reproach. It's not that he beats us. There's a sense a gentle reproach that he gives. And there's a couple of things that the scripture points out here. First of all, he says, listen, what you're going through is not that bad. In your struggle against sin, have you not resisted to the point of shedding your blood? So he said, listen, you know, I know you're fighting against sin, but have you really done it to the point where you've shed your blood for it? He said, listen, this discipline is not that bad and uh, that you're going to go through, and it's not a time to get discouraged. He says there in verse um, six, or verse 5, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be discouraged when reproved. You know, he says, don't get discouraged when God reproves you. Don't let that get you down. And and I think that's why he tells us back in Proverbs, you know, a just man falls seven times, but he gets up. Don't lay there and wallow in your sin. Don't say, oh, well, I got distracted. I'm probably going to lose the race anyway. Why why should I get up? And, And God's saying, listen, get up. Listen, God's disciplines you. Why? Because there's several things. First of all, it shows that he loves you. So when you you get distracted and something happens in your life and you know this is God trying to get your attention, thank him for it. Say, man, thank you for this test that you've put me through because God, I know I got distracted in the race of life. Thanks for loving me and caring enough for me to bring me back. And not only that, he says that it shows you you are his child. It says, listen, if you can just walk and walk and sin and you don't have any discipline in your life, maybe you're not saved. Maybe you're not even a child of God. 
But he said, listen, you need to be thankful for discipline because it shows you you are his child. Shows you you're his child. He's sanctifying you. He's making you more holy, it says. He's making you more like him through this discipline. Um, he, He says there in verse 10, that ye may share his holiness. For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. And so as a Christian, when you get distracted in the race of life, and you go through something, something happens in your life, and you know this is God saying, wake up, come on, get back in the race. Say, wow, God, you love me enough. You love me enough to discipline me. You love me enough to discipline me. And then he says, listen, the pain now that you're going through brings a harvest of righteousness. So here's the the thing. When I sin, I get distracted. I'm running the wrong way in the race of life. God brings discipline on my life. What that's for is so that later I can have righteousness. I can have more righteousness in my life. And and I like what he says there. Um, That that last word, he says, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained. He says, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful. And it really talks about there, when you study that in the original, it brings about a harvest of righteousness. That means a great amount of righteousness in my life. So when we go through these things, when we go through difficulty, it shows God loves us, he cares for us, he's sanctifying us, he's making us holy, and later in our life, it's going to provide a lot of righteousness. So now he turns to these runners to tell them to finish well. Finish the race well. In verses 12 through 17, he says, Therefore... Lift your drooping hands and strength, uh, strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Strive for the peace with everyone for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God that no root of bitterness spring up and cause trouble and by it many become defiled that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessings, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. So he says, listen, finish the race well. This is a tough race. But he says, listen, run tough. Now, I have to be honest with you. I have a hard time relating to this scripture because I have never been a runner. But I listen to guys, I, you know, and, and I watch. I watch Carl Foyt on Facebook, and he'll always say, I ran this far today. You know, or, or I've heard some of our people ran last year in what's called the Tough Mudder, right? Okay, a bunch of our people went and ran. And it is an unbelievable race. And, and, and exactly, when they finished, and I couldn't believe all the things they had done, they, they were covered with mud. And it was a tough course listening to them. Now, I mean, it's hard because the only place I run to is the refrigerator. <laughs> several times a day. But so, 
you know, but I hear people talking, and I, and I have been a walker. I do get out and walk, and, and, and the thing about walking in New Jersey and walking in uh, Lancaster, it's a lot better to walk in New Jersey because it's all flat. Everywhere I walk in Lancaster, it's like this. And so, so t- for me, I think about this when, you know, when I'm walking to finish well, but here he's talking about, again, this race. He said this race is tough, but you need to finish well. Don't get set aside by some things that he's going to mention here in just a moment. But he says this, and he also says, run together. And he talks about running together. Strive for peace with everyone and for holiness without, which no one will see the Lord. So he says, as you're running this race, run it together. Strive together. Run tough together. Run after peace and holiness. And then he says, guard against. And he gives three things to guard against. And again, I'm just taking us through here, not you know, really developing these to get us to the, to the main points today. He says, guard against gracelessness, not showing grace to other people. Guard against apostasy, letting roots of bitterness spring up in you. And then guard against the wrong appetites, sexual desires that we need to keep under control. So he says, listen, those things can hinder you in running this race. If you're going to finish well in this race... You're going to have to run tough. If you're going to finish well in this race, you cannot be a person who has no grace. You can't be a person of bitterness. You can't be a person who feeds the sexual appetites all the time. One of the facts that comes through loud and clear in this marathon is it's tough. It's tough. Spiritual runners experience the spiritual equivalent of what the Boston Marathon runners undergo also. Bone grinding against raw bone. Uh, searing half-dollar-sized blisters. It's called when they hit the wall. So the early step is like running through warm caramel. Sometimes, like the modern marathoners, they're encouraged by those along the way, just as the spectators who line the Boston Marathon when they get to the one place called Heartbreak Hill. They encourage the walkers to jog, and they encourage the joggers to run. And the people there at Heartbreak Hill, as they hit that, they'll say, come on, you can do it, you can do it, you can make it to the end, you can do it. And they encourage them, just much like those back in verse 1, those who are encouraging us, you can do it. Don't get sidetracked with gracelessness, don't get sidetracked with bitterness, don't get sidetracked with feeding your spirit or your sexual appetites all the time. Pick up those feet. You can do it. Encouraging. Encouragers. But there's an experience and the spiritual runner undergoes that is virtually unknown, and that's what he's going to talk about next. Because there are those here in Hebrews who are saying, come on, you can do it, you can do it. The runners of Hebrews are facing something much, much tougher than physical pain and physical discouragement. What they're facing is they're facing people who are saying, hey, you're running the wrong way. What's wrong with you? Come on, get out of there. You're running the wrong way. Don't you know? You're running the wrong direction. And so instead of having people cheering them on, they have their family, they have their friends who are saying, hey, you're off course. You're off course. You're running totally the wrong way. You've gotten distracted. 
See, the writer of Hebrews is contrasting, and we're going to see it here, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. The Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And now we're going to see it in the context of this race. See, because the relatives and the friends of the Hebrews are saying, hey, you're going the wrong way. You've left the Old Covenant. You've left the Old Covenant. What's wrong with you? And so now he's going to explain to us the Old Covenant, what, what they're telling these racers that you need to go back to. And if I can put it in one word, one little three-letter word, it's called law. That's what it is. It's law. He said, you're running back into law again. And so this is what we get to here in verse 18. The kingdom that cannot be shaken. He says in verse 18, For you have not come to what may be touched as a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and tempest, and the sound of trumpets and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further message be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. Even if a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so striving was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. So what's he saying there? He said, Pastor Dick, what, what, what is the writer of Hebrews telling us here? Well, he's telling these Hebrews, he's telling these people who are in the race, he's saying, listen, don't listen to those distractors who are telling you to go back to the law. Because let me remind you a little bit about the law. And so he takes them back to Moses at Mount Sinai. He takes them back to Moses at Mount Sinai here, the law. And so he's really going to sort of say law and the new covenant is the covenant of grace, but he's going to take a minute and explain the old covenant of law first. And so he reminds them about what Moses went through from Sinai, the law, we call it. And uh, if we would take our Bibles and go back to the book of Exodus, we would read there about what a physical moving thing this was for the people of Israel at Mount Sinai. God came and spoke to Moses, and he said, listen, here's what you need to do. I'm going to come meet with you, but he says, you need to prepare for this. You need to spend three days getting the people of Israel ready. And he said there was this prelude to the divine fireworks that were going to happen on top of Mount Sinai. And here's what this prelude was. He said, first of all, you need to get everybody to wash their clothes. You need to get everybody in Israel to wash their clothes. He said the second thing you need to do is you need, he says, listen, you need to abstain from sexual relationships for the next several days. So tell the people of Israel they need to abstain from sexual relations. And then they're not even to touch the mountain. They're not even to come near the mountain. He said if they do, they're to be killed, they're to be stoned. He said don't even let your beast touch the mountain, Mount Sinai, where God is going to come and meet with Moses and give the law. He said don't even do that. Don't even let your beast go near. And so for three days, Israel prepares to meet God. And on that third day... That third day, they get up in the morning and there's a thick cloud over the top of Mount Sinai. Lightning and thunder, fireworks in a sense, are coming out of the mountain. There's a deafening trumpet blast, so loud that the people probably are covering their ears and asking for the trumpets to stop because it's so loud. 
And people are physically trembling, physically trembling here at the mountain. And then they don't see it, but the scripture tells us there are hundreds, a myriad, hundreds of thousands of angels are all around Mount Sinai and all over the top of the people of Israel. They don't even see it. In a sense, it's the angels who are there to minister to them, but mostly to minister to God who is waiting for Moses on the top of the mountain. And it is awesome scene. An awesome scene here. A physical display of what God is about to do. It's a picture of the law. A picture of separation from God. Because, see, here's the problem when you study this scripture. The problem with the trip to, to Sinai was while men and women could come and see God's holiness and their sinfulness, the law had no power whatsoever to do anything about that sin. See, they could, they could see God from a distance, and they knew it was God, and they trembled, but there was no way that they could come to God. No way they could come to God. One of the Puritan writers said this, to run and work the law commands, yet gives no feet nor hands. Let me say it again. To run and work the law commands, yet gives no feet or hands. See, the law had no way to provide them that intimacy with God. And so, again, going back to the race, the runners are hearing from their relatives and their friends, you're going the wrong way. Come back. Come back to the law. Come back to the law. That's what the scripture is saying. And Jesus is saying, no, don't go back to the law. Because let me show you the other side. Let me show you Mount Zion, let me show you grace. So he's telling, and so he's saying to these runners, hey, listen, you're running towards Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of your faith. He is grace. God, Jesus is grace. So now I want you to see the other scene. See, in verse 22, it says, but, you ought to circle that word, because there's a transition here from, from the law from Mount Sinai to Mount Zion. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the, heaven, the, heaven, um, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable, innumerable angels in, festal, in festival gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Mount Zion to Zion grace. And so he says, listen, there's several things that he wants us to see. He wants to remind us about what this grace offers to us. You know, and so often we get saved and we are set free from the law and then we go back and we live in the law instead of living in grace. And so he says, listen, this is about grace. 
So he's telling these runners, don't go back to the law, continue to run in grace. And running in grace, there's several things that he wants you to see. First of all, he says, listen, because you run in grace, it's going to provide you the city of gold, Mount Zion. It's the place of the ark. It's the place of the dwelling place of God. And that time, everybody knew that Mount Zion was the dwelling place of God. It was where the ark of God had been. And they knew that. And so they knew it was where God dwelt. In Christ, we have the heavenly counterpart to Mount Zion. It's called the New Jerusalem. In chapter 13 of Hebrews, it talks about that. Um, over in verse 14, it says, For there we have um, no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. He's reminding us, listen, you've never seen a city like the one that you're going to go to. You've never seen anything like the city of God. And this is where your citizenship is. This is where your heavenly citizenship. In Philippians 3.20, it says our citizenship is in heaven. And the scripture says these are just tents that we're dwelling in right now. You know what the thing about tents is, is they come up real easy and they move. And the reality of, listen, we're just dwelling here for a little time. The reality is we're going to dwell in heaven. Someday we're going to be in heaven with God himself. So don't look back to the law. Look to where you're going. Look to, this is a great privilege that we have. You're going to be with God in heaven. And then, he, and then he talks about, listen, not only are you going to be in God, with the living God in the heavy, heaven, heavenly Jerusalem, but there's an unbelievable, an unnumberable angels that are there. How many? It's too many to number. Deuteronomy 33, 2 talks about the angels that were there and in heaven it says that they're everywhere they are a festival assembly is the translation or a joyful assembly these angels are in heaven and what are they doing they're worshiping god 24 7 they're ministering for him all the time and they are joyful they're joyful and so we're going to go to heaven and not only in heaven we're going to see god face to face at mount sinai under the law they couldn't see him face to face. But because we know Jesus Christ, we're going to get to spend eternity with him face to face. And there's going to be thousands, innumerable angels all around this scene. And then look, look what else he says. There's going to be fellow believers. And, and that's what he's talking about there. And to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven fellow believers and he's really talking about to the church of the firstborn whose names are in heaven jesus was the firstborn we are the co-heirs with christ in romans 8 17 bishop westcott says we are a society of eldest sons of god there's no second or third or fourth sons and daughters in the church we all get the big inheritance think about that we all get the big inheritance there's nobody here that is in second or third place when it comes to God. We're all firstborn. Now, I'm an only child, so I know what it means to be firstborn. There's nobody else. And so I got all the inheritance. But some of you here, you know, you might be thirdborn, and you think, oh, man, they're going to get more than I am. But here's the reality of this in heaven. The good news is you're a firstborn child, and you're going to get the same inheritance everybody else is. Is that exciting? 
guess you guys really aren't excited about going to heaven, are you? You're going you're to inherit. You're a firstborn. And that's what he's saying here. He's talking about, listen, we're the church, we're believers. There, and there's more. As a firstborn, our names are written in heaven along with the firstborn who are already there. In other words, there's an amazing solidarity between the church triumphant in heaven and the church militant here on earth. We're all the body of Christ. See, in, in, in heaven, it's the church triumphant. Here on the earth, we're the church militant who are going against the gates of hell, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And he says, listen, this scene, we are fellow believers. And then he says here, we come to meet God. And, and look at it. And to God, those we come to meet God. So we come to meet the God of Sinai, the judge who gave his son for us. We come to meet him face to face. And then this next one talks about the church triumphant. He says, the judge of all and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. That's you and me. That's you and me. The, the spirit of the righteous made perfect. Made perfect through who? Through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ. He's our mediator in this new covenant. He's the human carnation. He is the man like us and for us. And he forgives us. And so this awesome scene that the writer of Hebrews is trying to get the people to say, listen, you don't want to go back under the law. Let me tell you about eternity. Let me tell you about grace. Let me tell you what you're running for. And he says, because of grace... We are part of it, and the church in all her glory is seen and here. The church, that's you and me. It's seen in all of its glory. And that's what it's going to be like. And we could go to the book of Revelation, and we could find this same scene, this awesome scene in heaven, where God has taken his church, and he's brought it before him. And we're standing there in all the glory. The New Testament portrays our present life in the church as a foretaste of this final perfect assembly. That's why I've called it the church and its glory. Whenever the local church assembles, we experience a preview of the glory of the new heavens and earth. Thus, the passage teaches us not just about the glory of being a Christian, but about the glory of eternity. And so why do we come to church on Sunday? Because it's practice for eternity. Did you ever think about that? It's practice for eternity. So when we stand up and, and BJ stands up here and leads the music, man, we ought to all gather in and we ought to sing to our heart's content because we're practicing for eternity. Now, in eternity, it's going to be a whole lot different because we're going to be worshiping without sin because sin gets in our way occasionally here, doesn't it? But in heaven, we're not going to have it. And man, I can't wait to get to heaven to worship with you guys when we don't have sin to think about. It's going to be, woo, glorious, isn't it? It's going to be exciting. And he said, listen, that's what your church service ought to be like. It ought to be exciting. You ought to come here on Sunday morning and say, whoa, I want to see God. I want to practice for eternity. But some of us come saying, huh, well, got to work in the nursery today. And Nikki Winters always wants me in the nursery. Got to go down to junior church with the kids or 
No, you know what you're doing when you're in junior church or when you're in the nursery? You're allowing other people the privilege to practice for eternity. If you don't come to church excited, there's something wrong with you. Really? It's telling me that something's not right here because this is all about getting ready for eternity. That's what it's about. This is the church, in a sense, militant against sin, but the church enjoying the privilege of coming together to worship just for a little taste of eternity. That's why I, ha- I can't understand why people do so many other things on Sunday. Now I could preach and get way off there, but I can't understand why people go a thousand other places on Sunday other than the church because all those other things aren't preparing you for eternity. A trip to an amusement park on Sunday isn't preparing you for eternity. What's preparing you for eternity is worship. Of getting together and spending time with one another. Because this scripture says that's what it's about. And so when we think about membership in the church, this is part of being a member of the church and all of its glory. Looking ahead to what it's going to be like. Membership in the church is my privilege. It's a gift that is preparing me for the eternal glory of God. That's why I get excited about church membership. Because really what it is, is it's just one more step of getting me ready for eternity. It's a privilege that we have. It's a privilege that we have. And so he's, what he's saying to this runner here in Hebrews Listen, don't listen to your family. I know that you're calling you back into the law and they're telling you you're on the wrong way in this race, but I'm telling you, listen, keep moving towards the author and finisher of grace. The one who came from heaven, came to earth, and exude grace to everybody. He said, that's the one you ought to be looking towards. Why? Because that's the one who is the head of the church, right? Christ is the head, we're the body. And someday the body and the head will be together in all of its glory, worshiping in heaven together. And today is simply practice for eternity. Let's pray. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, maybe you don't know Jesus Christ is your personal Savior. Maybe if you died today, you're not 100% sure that you would go to heaven. Well, today could be the most important day of your life. Today could be the day that you make sure of that. And so maybe right where you're sitting, you need to say, you know what, Dick? When I look at my life, I see that I'm a sinner. I believe that Christ died on the cross for my sin. I believe that. If you say that today, that I believe Christ died on the cross for my sin, he was buried and he rose again the third day, you can know him as your Savior. You can be born again and baptized into the church of Christ and be part of that eternal glory of the church. But that's where it starts, a personal relationship with Jesus. Coming to that point where you admit you're a sinner and you believe and trust in what Christ did in dying for you and raising again to have victory. And if you're here today and you say, Dick, I'm not sure if I died, I'd go to heaven, then I would encourage you, 
See Pastor John, see me afterwards. We'd love to have the opportunity to share with you how you can know for sure before you leave this building today, you're on your way to heaven. Father, thank you for this time to look at Hebrews 12. What a great portion of scripture it is. Lord, thank you, Father, how it follows the hall of faith and introduces all of these people in Hebrews 11 who are gathered in the Colosseum cheering us on as we run this race. Lord, help us in the race not to be distracted by sin, not to be hindered, Father, by the weights. But Lord, if we do, thank you that you love us enough to discipline us to get us back on track in the race. Lord, help us not to slip back into law. Help us to enjoy the grace that we have right here on earth, but that we'll have in heaven for eternity with the church in all of its glory when we see the church triumphant. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.